Hello, everyone. Welcome to Cody's Car Conundrum. I'm your host, Cody Wagner. No duh, right? Here we discuss everything from car news, culture, movies, stories, games, interviews, events, and so much more. Without further delay, on with the show. Hey, hey, everyone. Welcome to this week's Sunday special. Today, we are actually reading an article I wrote a year ago. Oof, it's a bit old, but... It is worthy of being a Sunday special because it comes from my Carlosophy series, which is a series where I dive into more, I mean, sort of philosophical, but more enthusiast-level questions and a few other ones. So a good example of the first Carlosophy I did semi-recently, it was also, I think, a year old, was uh, Can Europe Make a Muscle Car? And that article, in fact, I might have made a podcast episode about it. That article dived into whether or not Europe has ever made a muscle car. Right? Have they ever made a muscle car in the way that we know it today? And the short answer, this is going to be spoilers if I haven't done a podcast episode on it, but the spoiler was yes and the spoiler or the answer, sorry, is yes and no. Europe can totally make a muscle car because it's not hard to make one. They just don't. And so today's car philosophy is can slash does America make a sports car? Because I've actually seen a handful of people around the internet who were very annoying say that America can't make a sports car. And I think that's bullcrap, but... I decided to fairly dive into this topic and see whether or not they actually had a point. So, let's get into it. Have you seen how infuriatingly common it is for someone to call the Corvette or Viper muscle cars? Not just in comment sections either, but from, pre but from people who work at automotive publications who really should know better too. You might not find it as annoying as I do, but I personally can't stand it. What, anything with a big V8 or V10 produced in America can't be anything more than a muscle car? Ridiculous. That itself isn't even the core issue here, even though I do have a problem with mis mislabeling cars. The real issue is how most of the people that call Vets or Vipers muscle cars seem to be doing so in a degrading manner, as if, they're, as if they've got a superiority complex for sports cars of the Porsche, Aston, Ferrari, uh, Ferrari, and other European variety. Alas, that's the world we live in though. However, I can still fight the system, which is exactly what I intend on doing in this installment of the Carlosophy series. So then, does America actually make sports cars? How many are there? How many have there been? Let's focus on answering that first question. Can America make sports cars? To properly answer this question, we, of course, have to specify what a sports car is, just so we're all on the same page. From the various definitions I looked at, the general consensus seems to be that a sports car is a two-seater, handling-oriented vehicle which excels at high-performance driving. A pretty broad definition that most of us can probably agree on. Thing is, there's always the issue of personal priority. That is, how much should these attributes be emphasized depending on any one person's definition of the term? Some of you might think a sports car being a two-seater takes precedence over its handling capability, whilst others care more about the latter than the former. Me, I'm more on the latter side of things. However, I prefer to look at the intention of the car along with its other qualities. Take a base 911, for example. That car has back seats, apparently classifying it as more of a 2 plus 2, then I don't think it's anything but a sports car. Why? Because it's far more athletic, raw, sporty, lightweight, and, and capable around a track than a normal Maserati Gran Turismo or any other GT car with similar specs. You can take the back seats out of a Gran Turismo and it still wouldn't be a sports car. It's too heavy, flaccid, comparatively speaking, heavy and big to be a sports car. By contrast, the addition of two small, visually unappealing, might I add, seats doesn't make the 911 any less of a sports car. The 911 was intended to be a sports car from the start. The Gran Turismo was not. We're not done yet, though, because there are also people who think that a sports car should be more towards the handling side of the performance spectrum. 
And there are others, though admittedly far fewer people, who think a sports car should lean a little more on the power side of the performance spectrum. The reality is there's no one-size-fits-all way of balancing this. You can have a sports car with a little more power, and you can have a sports car with a little more handling. For example, take a C7 Corvette Grand Sport and a 991.2 generation 911 GTS. Both are sports cars, yet follow sorry, both are sports cars, yet follow the same sports car principles differently. Look at this video, and if you take a look at the description, you'll find that the 911 GTS did a time of 108. This was around the Hockenheim ring. I, I don't remember if it was a shorter fast one though. Or sorry, the shorter long one though. And the Corvette Grand Sport did a time of 1 minute 08.3. I'm not about to say the VET would have beaten the 911 if it also had a manual transmission, but it would have been darn close. In any case, two wildly different cars with noticeably different methodologies for going fast around a track put down similar lap times despite their differences. There is no one-size-fits-all way of going fast because there are benefits and drawbacks to any approach. All of that is a long-winded way of saying that, yes, America can make sports cars. We may have our own way of doing it, but we still follow the basic principle that a sports car should be handling focus and adept at high-speed driving. Now that we've gotten the personal preference nonsense out of the way, let's get into the real meat of this section. Does America make sports cars? It's one thing to say that we have the technical know-how to make a sports car. It's another thing entirely to say that we do make sports cars. There's no denying that Europe has a vastly greater array of sports cars than America does. But does that mean America has never made a sports car? The short answer obviously is no. The long answer, however, requires that we take a trip through history to get a greater understanding of just how many, or how few, sports cars have come out of America. The early post-war era. Back shortly after World War II ended, there weren't many American manufacturers who made a proper sports car like the Europeans did. Britain had a ton of marks pumping out beautiful metal, and Italy did too. America did have some influence on these cars with their various engines, but nothing homegrown had been built at that time. Enter Briggs Cunningham. Briggs Swift Cunningham II was, and very much still is, an astonishingly interesting character to research and examine. Born into a rich family, but not lazy by any means, Briggs Cunningham was an avid athlete even before getting into motorized contraptions. His younger years were filled by playing, quite skillfully might I add, in golf and tennis in fact. Moreover, Briggs Cunningham was a sportsman in the truest sense of the word. He was a person that competed for the sake of competing. Not for the money, not for the fame, but just for the simple enjoyment of competing against his fellow opponent. Not sure how many people could have known back then, but Briggs would eventually take his love of competing for tennis and golf to racing boats and cars. Not just any boats either, or just any cars, as we'll get into later. Mr. Cunningham also raced yachts of all things. The advantages of having large amounts of disposable income. However, this website isn't called Sail Tribe, now is it? No, of course not. So let's touch on Cunningham's automobile history. I won't get into the non-Cunningham cars Briggs raced in this article, but I highly recommend checking a drive driver by the name of Dylan Smith. He's got a massive array of historic motorsport articles and has even written an article on the infamous Le Monstre that Cunningham raced, or tried to, at Le Mans. If you want to read about that, then check him out. During all my research, I couldn't find a homegrown American sports car that existed in the way we think of sports cars today, or even in the way we thought of sports cars in the 1950s. Italy was pumping out all Italian beauties, and Britain had a knack for making fantastic chassis powered by American power plants. But there was no true all-American sports car that I found. Even the Corvette hadn't been made at this point in time. Then I remembered, 
Briggs Cunningham and his pack of race cars. Briggs Cunningham wanted to win Le Mans, as one man with a lot of money naturally does. And after, and after trying out the caddies, it was decided he would just have to do the job right himself and make a car the old-fashioned way. Yourself. The first result was the Cunningham C1, a two-seat roadster prototype that looked like that looks like a cousin of the AC Ace, but predates it by many years. It utilized a Cadillac Source overhead valve V8, a Cadillac Source three-speed manual transmission, and some Ford Source front coil suspension. I haven't found a definitive answer telling whether whether this car was raced or not, but it would seem that it did take part in one event sometime in 1951. I couldn't find any information regarding what that event was or how the C1 did, though. That aside, there is one caveat, though. The C1 was a prototype. Still a very important car, but not the one Briggs would run at Le Mans and other events throughout the early 50s. That honor goes to the C2R. By now, anyone who knows anything about the old Cunninghams will be saying that the C2R wasn't necessarily a sports car because it wasn't ever sold to the public. Briggs only built three of the C2Rs, and they all did battle with Europe, all did battle with Europe at, where else, Le Mans. To which I have to say, I totally agree with you. However, Janetta primarily makes track-only toys too, yet I doubt any of you wouldn't call the G40 Junior or G40 GRDC anything other than a sports car at first glance. Whether you prefer to refer to the earliest possible model in the Cunningham lineup as the first all-American sports car, the C1, or the car that made it beyond the prototype phase and raced at Le Mans, the C2R, doesn't really matter. The C1 came out before the C2R, but both vehicles were created in 1951, years before Chevrolet would have the chance to get their own sports car out, the C1 Corvette. While the Nash Healey was introduced around the same time, the most American thing about that car was the engine, as everything else was European, very much like the AC Cobra, in fact. Indeed, the Nash Healey was more Anglo-American than all-out American. When looking for a completely American sports car in this time period, it's foolish to omit the first Corvette. Meant to fight the Nash Healey, interestingly, the first Corvette is a favorite among many car enthusiasts. Even still, development of the C1, codenamed Project Opal, hilariously, wouldn't begin until late 1951. By contrast, the C2R, according to my research, went to its first race on the, 30, on the 23rd of June in 1951. Not even the Ford Thunderbird, which wasn't really a sports car, was around then. In conclusion, the C1 slash C2R were both around two year were both around two years before the Corvette would make it to market, and was an all-American sports car, unlike the Anglo-American Nash Healey, making it, in my opinion, America's first proper sports car. With the early post-war era complete, time to move on to the next era of American sports cars, the 60s. Long after the death of the Cunningham C2Rs, the only American sports car left was the Corvette. Yes, neither the Shelby Cobra nor the Sunbeam Tiger count, as both are like the Nash Healey, Anglo-American sports cars, even though I'd argue that the Cobra got increasingly more American as the marks went by. This would be the general status of things all the way until the 90s, even with a little-known car called the Bricklin. Dodge did make a very sports car slash supercar looking concept back in 1968, called the Charger 3 concept, but that's still just a concept. The 90s. At this point, the Corvette wouldn't be the only sports car in America for long, as Dodge was fixing to make a sort of homage to the old Cobra. Bob Lutz owned an Autocraft Mark IV Cobra during the late 80s, but felt bad about the car having powered by four badges on the side of the car. Obviously, he took the badges off, but he still felt a little guilty about driving a sports car that wasn't a Chrysler product. 
This led him to having a little chat with chief designer Tom Gale about potentially making a modern-day Cobra of their own. The 1989 North American International Auto Show, aka Detroit, would bear witness to the most radical car Chrysler had ever built since arguably the Airflow. The Viper concept was unveiled and it completely stole the show. It was such a success that the Viper is one of the few cars to ever go from concept to production. Certainly few cars that stay true to the concept even after becoming a production model. Then, well, you know the rest. The 2000s to present. Since then, the Corvette and Viper have been the main few sports cars to live in America. Some might argue that some might argue that Celine was another manufacturer to jump in, jump in the ring with the S7, but Celine isn't really a manufacturer, and the S7 is more of a supercar than a sports car, which is another reason why I excluded the 4 GT as well. Other than the Vet and Viper, I don't recall the Big Three making any other homegrown sports cars since. Final statements. In the end, I believe that describing the Corvette and Viper as anything other than sports cars would be incorrect. The Corvette, let's say since the C4 for argument's sake has always been a sports car. Even though it uses a big V8 to power its being, the Corvette has always been a proper contender in the sports car market for fun and is pretty much the standard of affordability. The Viper was meant to be a Cobra-inspired sports car since day one, and even though it uses a monumentally bigger engine than all Corvettes ever will or have, Dodge didn't forget the key aspect that makes a sports car a sports car. Even though it can be a bit of a handful like early 911s were in fact, Driven properly though, really like any, like any high performance machine, by those skillful enough to respect it, and the Viper is a scarily capable, uh, capable weapon that thrills like few others do. You may not like the way America does sports cars, and you don't have to, but using that to say they can't, no, but using that to say they aren't sports cars isn't an argument in the slightest, nor is engine size or the number of cylinders. The Viper isn't a super muscle car, despite the persona that it presents to people. It may seem like a big bad muscle car that can't take corners, but you'd be surprised at lap times non-ACR or non-TA versions of the Viper have put down. The Corvette isn't a muscle car either. The C7 may have used ancient technology in its rear suspension, a horizontally oriented leaf spring in its rear suspension setup, but the Grand Sport is clearly a favorite among track rats for a reason. Conclusion. In short, yes, America does and can make a sports car. We don't have the quantity of them that Europe has, but we can still hang with the best of them all the same. Before we end, there's a point I really want to hit home that I feel I really only mentioned a handful of times in the article, certainly at the end there. Engine size or number of cylinders does not change whether a car is a sports car or not, unless it's a really heavy engine. Otherwise, it really, really doesn't. I mean, the Porsche 911 had a 4-liter flat 6. That's big for a Porsche flat 6. Jag has made 5-liter V12. Didn't the Vantage, the V12 Vantage use a six point something liter, I think it was a 6.3 liter V12 in the Vantage, which is a sports car. That's a big engine. I mean, six, six liter anything's big, and certainly with a V12, yet you wouldn't call the Vantage not a sports car. You wouldn't say it's not a sports car. So the idea that American sports cars, like at the very least the Corvette, and to some extent the Viper are muscle cars because of the engines they use is, honestly, it's complete nonsense. It's bullcrap. Europe has made big engine sports cars before. Maybe not as big as America, but still big enough, still still uh, north of six liters. And yes, even I recognize that Euro's big engines are constructed differently and have different goals when it comes to power delivery and whatnot than American engines. But what's wrong with that? Why can't a European sports car have a lot of torque? What's wrong with any sports car having a lot of torque? I mean, have you never heard of the old Yeller story? I mean, I didn't until very recently, but still, 
That's a very good example of torque being useful in a racing or sports car application. If the Viper and Bet have proved anything, it's that you can have a big American-style engine and still have a car that focuses more on handling. I mean, look at the Corvette and Viper compared to the Camaro and the Challenger, respectively. I mean, real, it's not even close. I mean, hell, the lap times from the Bet and Viper over the years are enough to prove that, that they're genuine sports cars. So, ultimately, at the end of the day, while they may have the appearance or the persona of a big, bad muscle car, certainly with their engines, they're bona fide sports cars. Their performance, their construction, all of those things are proof enough of that. But what do you guys think, though? Do you agree? Do you disagree? Do you sort of agree? Do you somewhat disagree? Let me know. But in the meantime, I hope you all enjoyed. If you did, please make sure you like, share, and follow the podcast. If you're watching on YouTube, then like, comment, share, and consider subscribing. And if you do subscribe, I really do appreciate that. Thank you very much. Please make sure to hit the little notification bell and then all notifications so that way you're notified every time I upload. If you want to listen to this podcast on the road, but you don't have want the Podbean mobile app, not a problem. Boot up wherever you get your podcasts. Type in Cody's Car Conundrum and then choose the episode you want to listen to. I will see you all next time. Before we end, I want to inform you all that you can now monetarily support this podcast and indeed the entirety of Cody's Car Conundrum with Kofi. Uh, well, it might be coffee, but it's spelled K-O-F-I and that's weird. So I say it Kofi. In any case, Kofi is an alternative to Patreon where, beautifully and as God intended, you, the supporters, don't have to pay a fee, like on Patreon, to support my work. So if you like what I do and want to see me cover, slash talk about, slash make a video regarding something specific, or want me to branch out into other areas of car culture, then head on over to ko-fi.com forward slash Cody's Car Conundrum, where you can make a minimum donation of $5 towards me and the brand. In return, you'll be helping me afford new equipment, afford upgrades to my existing tools, you'll receive polls asking what topic you want me to dive into next, you'll get to see voted and non-voted content before public release, various forms of recognition for your support, and the ability to vote on merch designs you'd like to see on the Teespring store. And now it's time to close. You've just listened to me probably ramble about some cars if I'm being honest. If you've enjoyed me passionately talking about lumps of metal on wheels, then why don't you follow me on Twitter at Cody Carr, C-O-N-U-N-D-R-M, or check out my website, www.codyscarconundrum.com, for articles and other car-related content. If you have any questions or would like to become a sponsor, send an email to drtaffy777 at gmail.com and put sponsor in the subject line. Make sure to follow me here or any other platform so you don't miss out on more full-throttle content. Thanks for listening. I'll see you all in the next episode.